I'd invite you to turn with me to Mark chapter 6. We find ourselves at verses 14 through 29. Mark chapter 6, verses 14 through 29, as we're following Mark's uh, presentation of the life of Jesus. And uh, we're getting to a rather interesting story. Uh, It's a story that Mark's kind of almost innovative a little bit. He uh, actually does something that we're used to seeing in in novels today and the like. He actually has a story which incorporates a flashback, and it's the flashback of Herod Antipas. Uh, Upon hearing about Jesus and hearing him likened to John the Baptist, Herod suddenly flashes back to his relationship with John the Baptist. Now, I've got a rather obscure picture on the screen for you, and I have to explain that because it makes no sense if I don't. This is actually considered to be the, the palace of uh, Macarius, which was the, a palace, one of the palaces that Herod the Great built and Herod Antipas ended up using. Um, and archaeologists believe that what we're looking at here in this particular part of the, of the picture is the uh, banquet hall and, and dance floor of the palace. And that's where this particular scene Uh, of Salome dancing before King Herod and his cohorts probably happened. So that's, uh, we don't need to focus on that any more than, than that just gives you a a picture of of what they found and that things are still being found in Israel that connect strongly with biblical stories. But let's uh, jump right into Mark 6 uh, after Jesus has been uh, going around teaching and healing and, and sending out the, the 12 and all of these things. Then as we read in verse 14, King Herod heard about this. For Jesus' name had become well known. Some were saying, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead and that's why miraculous powers are at work in him. Others said he is Elijah. And still others claimed he is a prophet like one of the prophets of long ago. But when Herod heard this, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised from the dead. And then the flashback. For Herod himself had given orders to have John arrested and had him bound and put in prison. He did this because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, whom he had married. For John had been saying to Herod, it's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. So Herodias nursed a grudge against John and wanted to kill him. But she was not able to because Herod feared John and protected him, knowing him to be a righteous and holy man. When Herod heard John, he was greatly puzzled, yet he liked to listen to him. Finally, the opportune time came. On his birthday, Herod gave a banquet for his high officials and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. When the daughter of Herodias came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his dinner guests. The king said to the girl, Ask me for anything you want and I will give it to you. And he promised her with an oath, Whatever you ask, I will give you up to half my kingdom. She went out and asked her mother, What shall I ask for? The head of John the Baptist. She answered. At once the girl hurried in to the king with a request, I want you to give me right now the head of John the Baptist on a platter. The king was greatly distressed. But because of his oaths and 
his dinner guests. He didn't want to refuse her. So he immediately sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. The man went, beheaded John in prison, and brought back his head on a platter. He presented it to the girl, and she gave it to her mother. On hearing this, John's disciples came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. Conclude our reading at that point. Would you join me in prayer? Father God, as we come to this somewhat perplexing story, we pray that we might learn the truth of the matter, the matter of conscience, and that we might learn from these examples uh, a little bit more about how to live in connection with Jesus, not as Herod did, but more as John did, and that we might learn what it means to let our conscience uh, get stifled and what that might mean for our future if we do. We lift this all up in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, last week in Mark uh, 6, 1 to 13, we, we encountered a, a, some unbelieving responses to the ministries of Jesus and his disciples. Jesus in Nazareth, his original hometown, and the disciples who were sent out among the villages of Galilee, which was also their old stomping grounds. And we kind of attributed it a little bit to the idea of familiarity breeds contempt, that the, the locals just couldn't get past the humanity of Jesus, uh, couldn't get past what they knew of these disciples, these fishermen and the like, in order to hear the voice of God through them. It raises the issue once again in Mark, and we'll continue to confront this issue, the issue of authority and Jesus' authority. Jesus comes with authority. He sends out his disciples with authority, and yet that authority is not accepted because in some way the consciences of the people were hardened. And this, mind you, were the friendlies. These were the friendly folks from their hometowns. Well, now Mark turns to the story of an unfriendly, Herod Antipas, and his flashback on the demise of John the Baptist. The man about whom Jesus once said, among those born of women, has not anyone risen greater than John the Baptist, was an extraordinary person. He was a miracle child, born to the aged Zechariah and Baron Elizabeth, a Nazarite from birth, especially attuned to the scriptures and to God's call in his life. He was also the first one to proclaim in referring to Jesus, the kingdom of God has come. The kingdom of God is here. But when he clashed with Herod Antipas, it raised the issue of conscience. Let your conscience be your guide. Have you ever said that? Asked Charles Swindoll. He says, wait a minute, sometimes that's reliable, but a great deal depends on the condition of your conscience. What if your conscience is seared? Conscience is like a compass. If the compass is faulty, you'll quickly get off course. A conscience gets a signal from the heart, which can be dulled, hardened, and calloused. Well, in this story, we see a contrast of consciences between John the Baptist 
and Herod Antipas. John the Baptist is known for his peculiar camel hair shirts, desert home, and grasshopper diet. But more importantly, the Bible depicts him as an intensely moral and righteous man, a man of conscience and great moral courage. Kent Hughes writes, one day he would lose his head, but not his conscience. Well, John burst onto the scene, boldly denouncing sin and and calling the people to radical repentance in order to prepare for the Messiah that God was sending. John was a prophet, like Elijah and like Jesus. A prophet who spoke with God's authority. He bowed to no man, whether it was the religious leaders who he once called a pack of snakes or kings. And in that way, he was kind of like Elijah, who once had a bounty placed on his head by King Ahab and Queen Jezebel in a somewhat eerie parallel to this story. So it was perhaps inevitable that John would collide with the Herodian dynasty. Herod Antipas was a tetrarch of that dynasty, one of the sons of Herod the Great, and one of the people that ruled parcels of the land of Israel. His present wife, Herodias, was the daughter of Herod's half-brother, Aristobulus. And therefore, she was Herod's niece. She was also the wife of his half-brother, Philip, and therefore she was also his sister-in-law. So they were doubly related. Herodias was his niece and his sister-in-law, and yet Herod Antipas seduced her into marrying him, both of them getting divorced to do so, which is totally against Jewish law for two reasons. One, you cannot marry your living brother's wife. That was considered incest in Leviticus 18 and 20. And two, you cannot divorce a spouse in order to marry another, which Jesus reiterates later in Mark 10. Frederick Beekner, in his book, Peculiar Treasures, has a kind of interesting take on this. He says one of the less offensive acts of King Herod Antipas was to walk off with his brother's wife, Herodias. At least there may have been some love in it. But it was against the law. And since John the Baptist was a stickler for that sort of thing, he gave Herod a hard time over it. Needless to say, this didn't endear him to Herodias, who urged her husband to make short work of him. Herod said he'd be only too pleased to oblige her, but unfortunately John was a good man with a strong following, and it might lead to unpleasantness. Now, it's very clear that Herodias nursed a personal a grudge against John for personal reasons. And Herod Antipas certainly had some of that too, but it, it seems from history that in fact Herod Antipas jailed John for political reasons. For political reasons. The Roman historian Josephus, who actually was a, a Jew himself, became a historian in the first century for the Romans, wrote in his book, The Antiquities of the Jews, the crowds grew around John and his words greatly inspired the people. Herod began to fear that John's great influence over the people might enable him by some innovation to raise some form of rebellion. The people appeared to be ready to do anything John directed. 
And so Herod had him imprisoned. What a contrast between these two figures. Herod, flamboyant and, and, and regal in his Seville robe, tailored robes. And John the Baptist, serious and simple in his camel hair shirt from Goodwill. Herod the partier, John the prude. Herod the spineless pragmatist, John the man of great moral courage. John would keep his conscience, but lose his head. Herod would keep his head, but lose his conscience. And this is then a story of the death of a conscience, the death of a soul. It's happened thousands of times throughout history and still occurs today. And here in this passage, we actually see it in stages. It starts with a stirred conscience, verses 19 and 20. Well, well, John languished in Herod's dungeon. An unexpected and fascinating relationship developed between them. Their confrontation brought about arrest, but not death. Even though Herod had the upper hand, we read that he feared John. Why? Well, if you think about it, goodness often terrifies evil. Goodness often terrifies evil. It brings to light the the sin shrouded in darkness. Someone once said, the truth will make you free, but first it will make you miserable. And that seems true of Herod. And true of many who come to Jesus Christ who, who are first repelled and then finally drawn by his righteousness. We read, Herod was greatly puzzled, but liked to listen to him. Why? Well, perhaps John was a breath of fresh air in Herod's social and political circles and climate. John cared little about court etiquette, was not intimidated by people's opinions or the king's power. He was his own man, which is to say, God's man, something Herod couldn't say about himself. He spoke with God's authority, even as Jesus and his disciples would do. In a sense, all Christians could learn well from John to be honest, open, unintimidated, and really only concerned about God's opinion and not the opinion of the world. Perhaps Herod also liked listening to John because maybe he thought it would atone for his immoral condition. People still think that today sometimes. They Some people like certain challenging sermons because that's good for us, by which they usually mean, well, that's good for them, but often don't change their lifestyle. Well, Herod had a stirred conscience. John stirred his conscience, but it didn't last. And soon it was stifled. And that's where the the flashback comes in. Stag birthday parties were common among the Romans and therefore among the Herodians, who who really were were the servants of the Romans. And Herodias seemed to sense that this was her opportunity. The men apparently got increasingly drunk, sensuous, and demanded male entertainment, which was normally professional court dancers who doubled as prostitutes. Herodias instead sent her daughter, Salome is a name, incidentally, that we never hear in the Bible. 
we only know from Josephus, from history. But her undoubtedly sensuous dance was unheard of for proper women. It was outrageous, but an extremely pleased, undoubtedly extremely tipsy Herod, surely showing off, shouted, ask for me for anything you want. The other men likely cheered their approval and, and wagered on what she would, she would ask for as she went out to consult her mother. Frederick Beekner continues the story. It didn't take Herodias 20 seconds to tell her the head of John the Baptist, she snapped out. And that's what Salome went back and told Herod, adding only that she'd prefer to have it served on a platter. Suddenly, Herod sobered up. He was in shock. We're, we're told he was in, in grief. The word distressed here is the very same word used later for Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane in his distress. For a moment, Herod's conscience was torn. It was torn between John's goodness and the peer pressure of Herod's friends. But he stifled the one part of his conscience. The conscience once stirred by John the Baptist. He stifled it for fear of what others would think. Mark's listeners would undoubtedly recall a similar incident when a ruler by the name of Pontius Pilate, while proclaiming the innocence of Jesus, handed over him, to, him over to die anyway because he was trapped between what was right and what was expedient for his reputation. It seems absurd, but many fall into the same trap today. People still stifle the spirits moving in their lives out of, out of fear of family or friends or reputations. Some base every decision they make on other people's opinions. Politicians who never vote their conscience. Business people who act according to upward mobility, not, uh, not biblical morality. Students who sell their souls to be in the in crowd. So all this is background now, flashback, to what is happening back in the present day. And in the present day, Jesus' ministry is flourishing. And while he was a different person from John the Baptist, they had a similar message. The kingdom of God is here. The same message his disciples would carry on as well. They also had a similar righteousness and a similar conscience. Herod had heard the pub popular speculation about Jesus, that he was a prophet. Perhaps he was the second coming of Elijah or oh, John. Herod was sure it was John. He comes to that conclusion. He says, it's John, the man I myself beheaded. If you look at the if you look at the Greek there, you find out that he's got an emphatic eye. It's repeated twice. It's, it's almost as if he's, he's repeating himself, continuing to say it, kind of like Lady Macbeth repeatedly washing her hands of an imagined blood spot that might condemn her. The cry of a guilty conscience. Are you familiar with or do you remember Edgar Allan Poe's The Telltale Heart? The story of a murderer 
who couldn't sleep because he kept hearing the heart of his victim pounding, assuming everyone else would hear it too. But it wasn't the victim's heart, it was his own. The power of a guilty conscience. Herod learned, as Frederick Buechner says, that even when he cut a saint's head off, that doesn't mean you've heard the last of him by a long shot. You know, when we confess our sins and are forgiven, we can put them out of our consciences. But sin unconfessed remains a guilty spot we cannot wash away that comes back to haunt us. Herod's guilt led him to see a chain-rattling ghost, the ghost of prophets past, where there was none. When this happens in our lives, either our guilt leads to confession and forgiveness, our guilt builds until it destroys us, or we rationalize our guilt to the point where we bury it along with our conscience, which now is dead. Now, certainly part of Mark's reason for telling this story is to foreshadow the death of Jesus, the fate of Jesus. The parallels are unmistakable between John's demise and that of Jesus, between Herod Antipas and Pontius Pilate, who both proclaimed their victim innocent, condemned him anyway under the pressure into, under pressure and to save face and gave the body over to the man's disciples for burial. Mark writes it with the very same words. But the parallel also reminds us of Herod's eventual outcome. You see, Herod and Pilate never really got along that well, but they had kind of mended fences by the time of Jesus' trial. And so Herod, or Pilate, allowed Herod to, to finally see Jesus before his final trial. And in Luke 23, the last recorded mention of Herod Antipas in the Bible, we read of this encounter. When Herod saw Jesus, he was greatly pleased because for a long time he'd been wanting to see him. From what he had heard about him, he hoped to see him perform some miracle. He plied him with many questions, but Jesus gave him no answer. The chief priests and teachers of the law were standing there vehemently accusing him. Then Herod and his soldiers ridiculed him and mocked him. Dressing him in an elegant robe, they sent him back to Pilate. Herod merely wanted to see Jesus for, for some entertainment, for a miracle. And again, we see him playing to the crowd, following the lead of the religious leaders and mocking Jesus. But it's very clear, there is no conscience here anymore. There is no conscience. While his encounters with John the Baptist and, his, and the mere mention of Jesus had stirred a guilty conscience earlier, now there's nothing. Herod Antipas stood face to face with absolute righteousness and absolute goodness and didn't flinch. His conscience, his soul, was dead. And it remains possible for a person to be so jaded that they can stand face to face with Jesus Christ and feel nothing. For so long to stifle and suppress the stirrings of one's conscience that it dies. And while this sounds like it's a message for just for an unbeliever, it's also a clear warning for believers. A neglected conscience 
will suffer a decreasing sensitivity to God to the point where we don't hear him when he speaks. We need to continually cultivate our consciences by filling our minds with God's word and obeying him rather than the opinions of, the, of other people or the moral or immoral values of our world. Pray for the Holy Spirit's help in cultivating a Christian conscience. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you are one who calls us to to live in the way that you did. That we're reminded in Scripture that to be a Christian is to seek to be Christ-like, to be like you. So we pray that you would, by your Spirit, continue to move that in our hearts, continue to stir our consciences. Let us not get carried away uh, from having a, a stirred conscience. Let us not see the, the dying of our, of our souls because we have strayed from you. We pray this, Holy Spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's continue that prayer through song, asking, may the mind of Christ my Savior live in me from day to day. Let's stand and sing the five stanzas. It's number 334 and lift up your hearts. The words will also be on the screen.